Hey guys, you're back with Lima and Carl. Unfortunately, T's not here with us today. He's in Ireland, but we're doing our second guest and we've got a pretty special guest here on the show today with us. She's a film director, um, co-founder of a charity, influential mental health activist, and she's an all-around amazing person and she's doing some awesome things in the world, not only in New Zealand, but globally. Just want to say thanks for coming and welcome Jazz Thornton. Are we good? Yep. Oh, hi Jazz and thanks for coming and being our second guest and yeah, hopefully we can uh, chop it up nice today. <laughs> I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I was actually quite nervous reading all that. <laughs> I was like, far out. I always get interested about people's introductions about me yeah. and what they're going to say. You did well. <laughs> yeah, I hope I didn't miss anything. You've got a, you've got a quite it's an it's esteem. A big, big resume, yeah. yeah for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So what, so what brings you over to the, to the UK? Um, I am actually being brought over by um, United for Global Mental Health. So about two weeks ago, um, we launched the world's first ever global mental health campaign at the UN General Assembly. So with all the world leaders um, and then came from New York to London um, to just like you said, we launched a museum called the Museum of Lost and Found Potential, um, which is 16 stories from around the world, a mixture of people who have uh, taken their lives and then people who have managed to get help in and out. Uh, living out different, you know, different dreams that they have. So uh, it's been full on, but today is the final day for the museum. It closes tonight. And how, how's it been? What's been the reception like over in the UK? It's been uh, pretty amazing. It was it was a risk um, launching this because the the way that we told these stories is a way that's never been done before. Um, and you know, talking about mental health is one thing, but actually putting faces to these statistics is is a whole another kind of ball game. And um, the response to it has been incredible. The museum's been packed out every day. People are coming through um, and just resonating with the stories. People are spending so long in there as well, like hours just reading through everything, looking at all the artifacts that are in there. Um, um, we've had some pretty incredible big names that have come through as well and that have got behind it. And um, yeah, so the response has been far greater than we could have ever hoped for. Yeah. So, you, so what kind of statistics are you talking about? You just mentioned that before. What, yeah. what do you mean by that in terms of? So when it comes to, to mental health, I think often we, we throw statistics around without realising that these are people. Like the fact that even back home in New Zealand, we've got the highest use suicide rate per capita in the world. Um, and we, we hear that, but we, we sometimes forget that in those statistics, that means that there is hundreds of young people that have taken their lives. There is thousands of families that have been left without people, but also that uh, one in four people struggle with mental health. 70% of people at, will at one point in their life have a suicidal thought. And suicide is also the leading cause of death for girls between age 15 and 24 and men between age 24 and 52. Um, so these stories are putting faces and, and lives behind the statistics that we kind of throw out all the time. Those are some stats. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That took me a while to, to, to digest a little bit. They really hit me in the face. Like, guys, you know, you said 24 to 52. Yeah. Like that's such a massive age gap, you know, mm -hmm. like for it to to be. And it kills more guys than car accidents do. And oh. we put money and we fund like crazy into adverts that are don't drink and drive, yeah. don't, you know, don't speed, but we don't put money in adverts into, hey, talk to your mates, don't take your life. Yeah. Um, yeah. The big, the big thing in New Zealand, which I, I'm sure you've been involved in, there's been a huge funding push from the government. 1.9 billion, I think yes. the number is. Yes. It, and I know that 
you know, whilst that's a, that is a great number, you know, I guess where where do you think those those funds should be go to? Because it, it seems we still very much have an issue that's continuing in New Zealand. Mm. So what you know, are we looking at things differently, or is it just you know more funding into the same pools? It definitely can't be more funding into the same pools, and that's the conversation that I've been having with the government. Is that um, it's amazing that we've you know we've finally got to a point where you're investing, but if you put this money into our current system, nothing's going to change. Um, and so it's all kind of restructuring and early intervention. And there's a lot of like within the the Maori and Pacific Islander communities, um, our statistics there are super high. And so looking at kind of targeted things for those groups of people because we can't expect our statistics to change if we're not targeting those who make up majority of our statistics. Yep. Yeah, I think I think just going back on your point around the numbers, I think there was a really powerful bit. If you could elaborate on around the there was a discussion around whether whether they're going to look to do a target. Do, do you want to sort of elaborate your? Yeah, definitely. Um, I I was on kind of a different opinion to quite a few people mm. because um, the World Health Association came in and were like, we've got a target to reduce suicides by a third by 2030. Mm. Um, and so our government were pretty much like, oh, do we have to put a target on this? Like, should our target be to reduce suicides by 20% by blah, blah, blah. And I was talking to Jacinda and I was like, well, but what, what, what do we do when we have 20% less suicides? Do we celebrate? Do we celebrate the fact that only 500 people took their lives? Is that something that we go, oh, yay, look, we're doing well? No, one life is too many. And so when I, the discussions that we had were, okay, targets are important, but your targets are that you reduce wait times from nine months to a day, that the targets are you increase the workers, the targets that you increase the programs, the tar- like those are your targets because then the, the results will come from that. But otherwise – what do we do when those stats eventually do go down? That's still not something to celebrate until we hit zero. Yeah, I think you're right. In the, that point you just seen before, when you look at them as people rather than as a numbers, that, that probably particularly in that political space, that it's very easy to, to point and, and show progress. But when you when you probably make it really hard hitting like that, that's a lot easier to a lot difficult to to, to just say just brush it off or. You know, it's not a success at all, right? Um, so, in terms of the success of you know, dear suicidal me, the the response from that, and then and then obviously under Jessica's tree, there's been a really that's just propelled a lot of this conversation. Do you think we're seeing a lot more? It seems to be a lot more of it in the media now. We're discussing it more openly. We, you know, we're discussing on podcasts. We're seeing it more. Ads everywhere. Do you feel that that the conversation is more at the forefront now? Definitely, I think that the conversation is is happening. And you know, back home, um, I have probably I do our, a lot of our TV shows and radio and stuff all the time, um, which is great. I have been on many many shows and just did BBC recently um, with the world news there, and people are people are talking about suicide more, but. What I'm starting to see is that um, the, the conversation needs to change because at the moment it's all, um, look at how bad it is, look at how bad it is. And for someone who's struggling, if they all they're hearing is, we've got the worst statistics and this is really bad, and then they're going, well, what's the point in trying? Um, and so I think now, and I, I had this discussion with media back home and was like, as soon as our stats come back, you must combat with hope immediately. And look at more of a, a solution based and looking at the stories of people who have got through and look at the how and actually kind of go transition the conversation from this is our massive issue to let's find solutions. And the conversation needed to be this is an issue to start off with because no one knew that it was. Yeah. Um, but now it's starting to shift it to go, okay, well, what do we do about it? I can see you're obviously very passionate about the mental health space and, and things like that. 
can you tell us why and and what brought you to this moment and 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 how you've kind of come about Voices of Hope and um, you know talking to all these fancy people you know Jacinda Ardern and you know you 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 know you're in a different bracket now you're starting to talk to like, government <laughs> officials and you know like I don't even know why you're talking to us but, <laughs> but it's um you know like how how are we here today and 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 why are you so um, passionate about what you do what you do I I do what I do because I was once the girl on the other side um you know I grew up in a, a very uh, very poor very broken family um there was a lot of abuse going on at home and um you know sexual abuse physical abuse and um when I was 12 years old um I made the decision to try and take my own life and you know as a 12 year old I I don't think I knew that if I did this that I would I would never wake up again but at that point I I don't think I cared um you know I was going into school and I was being bullied at school I was going home and I was being abused at home and so I was just kind of stuck in this this cycle, um, and then throughout the rest of my teenage years, um, it was suicide attempt after suicide attempt. I was diagnosed with a whole bunch of different things, and professionals were very much like this is a bit of a lost cause. Um, we don't know what to do with you, and I was put in psych wards for months. Um, I was in a coma at one point for three weeks, and nearly lost my life many times. And so, I remember being that girl in the psych ward as a teenager, just wanting to know that I wasn't the only one going through it because that's what it felt like. Because back then no one was talking about mental health. No one, I wasn't in the media. It was illegal to say the word suicide in the media. Um, And so as a teenager, there's nothing quite like not hearing anyone else talk about it to make you feel like you're the only one. Um, And so eventually I, you know, I had a conversation with someone in the psych ward that absolutely changed everything. And I learned how to fight back. And then, um, you know, a couple of years later got completely discharged from all systems and, um, they, I completely recovered from that. And so when that happened, I was like, well, I want to be able to create something that I needed when I was going through that time. Um, and back then, still no one was talking about it. So we were kind of uh, some of the, the first, to, especially our, like myself and my co-founder Genevieve, were some of the first our age to be trying to spearhead this. Um, but yeah, we just were thinking of ourselves in those psych wards and in those times going, we, we've got to do something about it. Oh, man, that's an amazing story. Like, I'm sure that you must get so many messages from girls who are just like you going through it all. I mean, how, how do you deal with that? And, and, and what do you kind of say back to people who, you know, once you've shared your story, I'm sure there's many girls out there who have gone through the same thing or who are going through that now. Like how, how do you know, how do you go about it? Um, it's because everything kind of, blew up quite quickly. Um, I, I was not prepared for the amount of messages that I would get. Um, especially when Jessica's tree and stuff came out, I was probably getting like 1500 a day, um, of messages from people all around the world. And cause that particular series won like 10 international awards and was getting shared everywhere. And so suddenly there was this influx of people. And, um, I, I actually now have, um, our mental health professional team back home that filter through all of my messages. And cause I physically can't read them all. Like it's, it's impossible for me too but um I what I what I found is that um a lot of people who watched Jessica's Tree or saw my TED talk or saw me out doing something they would often say Jazz um you just saved my life and for a while I was like oh wow that's cool and then I began to realize that um I I didn't actually save their life all I did was present to them hope and they made the decision in that moment to not take their life and instead to try and fight um and so and my responses to people now, it's kind of all about re-empowering them to know that 
that was that's how strong they are. That they still chose. Uh, they chose to reach out. They chose to get help. They chose in that moment to not take their life. All I did was present them with hope, and being able to re-empower them with that um, has been really cool. And they've been learning kind of how to fight themselves. And you'd be surprised actually the amount of men that contact me. Um, <laughs> young females it makes up a lot of my messages, but men there's a heck of a lot who are like I don't know how to talk to my friends. I don't know how to say what's going on. So it's a mixture of messages. <laughs> yeah. And just with that, with the guys, why do you think that? Why do you think guys, like why do you think it's more guys who are messaging you saying that they don't know how to talk? Or do you think it's like, you know, like a New Zealand thing, like you're supposed to be so tough or, mm. or you know, where where does that kind of stem from or what do you think? I definitely think it's a it's a culture thing um, for sure in the, you know, it's it's weak, you know, she'll be right kind of attitude. But I also think globally that it's the, the fundamental way that we've learned how to do relationship has quite literally, literally destroyed our ability to ask for help. So the very first thing that you, you learn when you are meeting people, when you're talking to people is, hey, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks. How are you? Move on with your day. Um, if you, if someone says, oh, I'm actually not doing well, you don't know what to do because literally our script we have been scripted from day one of hey how are you good thanks how are you good move on and that's you know in the corridors at work that's that's how the conversation goes when you're talking to your boss when you're talking with your mates like that is how the conversation goes and I think that that way when people and especially when guys are like oh, I'm actually not doing okay they don't know how to articulate it because they've been scripted and learned how to immediately on the question how are you that's not an open conversation to say this is how I actually am um, and so I think that uh, what we've been trying to do back home and, and here as well is kind of re, re, redefining the way that we do relationship and the way that we ask those questions to actually be like, no, no, how are you actually doing? Like I'm opening the conversation for you to actually talk um, rather than going back to the script that we all know. I forgot I was on scene now. <laughs> I was really intently listening. Yeah, same. I'm like, I don't want to be on this podcast. I just want to listen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've forgotten my train of thought already. I'm like, you say something so I can listen. Yeah, I, I think that that is a big thing, isn't it? And you know, we've grown up in those societies where there is very much a male-dominated that I'll take on all the weight on my shoulders. That I'll I'll take care of everything, and and I think that also creates that that culture somewhat. You know, yep. in that. Sometimes you do need that decompression or you just need to let that go. But I think that it seems a very Kiwi thing. But again, at the same time, you know, and almost mental health doesn't really have, a, there's no face to it as well, right? When you look at it globally, it's all very varying yeah. different demographics of, of, um, of people who, who suffer. And we also don't, like, this is kind of the, the next project that I'm going into that I, I can't say too much about but um, the, what we don't understand is that there's a there's a whole global story of mental health going on that we just don't know about so while New Zealand stats are terrible I was in Indonesia about a month and a half ago um, and while I was there I found out that there are still thousands of people in Indonesia right now that have mental health issues that are shackled to concrete slabs that's their way of dealing with it and that is legal that is literally and, and around many of the like a lot of the world that's what's happening um and so I came back from that and I was like, shoot, like there's actually hope for New Zealand because we're, we're putting funding in, we're, look, we're willing to change. And I made that comment in media and people just absolutely blew up at me and were like, how dare you? Like these stats, da 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 And I was like, no, no, like you don't understand. This is the reality of what is going on around the world. And so my next project, I'm telling the story of global mental health because it hasn't been told before, but it doesn't have a face. It's true. Yeah. Well, I guess 
in statistics, right, it's only what people are recording. So you, yep. you obviously get another hidden story in, in places like that and probably places that are similar mm-hmm. where they aren't getting recorded on these fig, global figures. Well, even Tonga, um, a guy that I met in Indonesia, his name is Leo. He is incredible. He single-handedly just last year created Tonga's first ever mental health policy. They didn't have one and they didn't have a youth mental health policy. So he created that. And then he went into government and got the mental health budget tripled um, within like a week of of going in and going, I'm going to do all of this for you. I'll write everything for free. But before that, so like last year, Tonga had nothing in place. Um, And so, and that's quite close to home, right? So it's like, what the heck? Like, how is is this a thing? But yeah, it's it's crazy. Especially before, before, because you alluded to the fact that in New Zealand, you said the rates among Polynesian and Māori are, are the highest of mm-hmm. any ethnicity in, in New Zealand, and to hear that is quite damaging because they, like, in Tonga, if they don't have any systems, then, you know, where are they supposed to go? Of course we're going to be high, and of course we're not going to know what to do with the problems in our head. Mm. Yeah, ex- yeah, and it's. I think there's nothing quite like there not being any net to catch you to tell you that you're not worth fighting for. Um, and so that's why it's it's super important that you know our government back home in New Zealand actually look and target in that, that area and, and put that net in, but also re-empowering, especially, you know, people like Leo who's in Tonga to be like, that's, that's not me going into Tonga and creating the change, that's the people of Tonga that are in there creating the change. And that's what, that's what kind of the work that we're doing is about is empowering people in their own countries to be part of that change um but that's why we need especially back home we need the voices of of the the maori and you know the the islanders to be able to stand up and say this is what we need this is what we need you to do and then we need to do it mm. <laughs> yeah just going back and uh dear suicidal me as well as jessica's tree you know what what really took you to firstly dear suicidal me which is a really powerful uh, powerful piece and what what drove you to do that? Because at the time you're still really you're going through those those moments, right? Um, I I had just come out of it. Yep. Um, I was in film school at the time. Mm. Um, about three weeks in, so I just learned how to do like an AV script kind of thing. Um, and I I was like, okay, I need to come up with a video to launch Voices of Hope. And we didn't think anything would kind of come from it, but I um, the idea for Dear Suicidal Me came from a letter that I actually wrote myself in the psych ward. Um, and it was a letter to my future suicidal self at that point, which was I knew my pattern. I knew that I would end up like this again. And so I was like, Jazz, like, dear suicidal me, I know that right now it feels like you can't do it, but these are the things that you need to do to fight. This is who you're fighting for. This is what you're fighting for. This is how you fight. And then I would pull this letter out after I left the psych ward and it would it would be the thing that would stop me from trying to take my life again. I never once again tried um, after I wrote this letter. And so I was sitting in film school and I had this idea of um, you know when you're when you hear inspirational stories it's fantastic but often you're like yeah cool but how how did you do it and so I I decided to get the the four people that are in that video to read out their suicide notes from when they tried to take their life and that was a bold move at that point because no one had done that before um, but what I wanted was that people that were struggling with suicidal thoughts they would watch these letters and they would go that's exactly how I'm feeling and then I got everyone to write a letter called Dear Suicidal Me to their past suicidal selves so People like Rob Makaraka, the actor, was like, you know, dear suicidal me, I know that right now this is what it feels like, but what you don't know is that you're about to become an award-winning actor. You know, you're, you're going to be a father, you're going to do all of these things. And my other friend, like, you're going to be an author, you're going to travel the world. And um, and that, that video, uh, when it went out, it was 
like I said, I was about three weeks in film school. I'd never learned how to, to direct anything <laughs> properly before. Um, yeah, and it got 80 million views in like 48 hours, yep. um, went everywhere, and I was kind of like, oh, I kind of have a knack for this. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is great. Um, I look back at that video yep. now, though, and I'm like, oh, I would do it so differently. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so after that um, is when I was able to – to pitch Jessica's tree because mm. of the success of the first one. Um, the first one was made on a budget of like $400, I think. And <laughs> Jessica's tree, um, I was the first ever student pitcher that they had taken in this big broadcasting thing. It was like 50 people pitching that had all done like feature films and series before. And I was like, I've been in film school for two months now. Um, <laughs> and I ended up winning the entire thing. Well. Um, and that's where I got Jessica's tree fully funded and left film school uh, about two months in and started working on it. <laughs> so you didn't even graduate? They let me graduate, oh, um, but I left. Yeah, so I think that they pretty much were like, you're going to do more out in the well, world yeah. <laughs> than you ever would in film school. So yeah. we will let you graduate, but you you need to leave now and go work on it. So I did. I signed a film deal at the same time as well. Oh. Um, the, fe- the feature film comes out uh, in February 2020. Um, Next year then. Yeah, so for, for the last two years, there was a crew following me. Um, glad and they're not here today. No, no, they've just finished post production now. Um, but I signed that deal on the same day as well. They were pretty much like, Oh, this the story of Jessica's tree is great. There's a feature film in this, and I was like, Cool, cool, what's the film? And they're like, Oh, it's you. And I was like, Nah, <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. It took them a couple of months to convince me to do it, but yep. yeah. And so they just followed you around 24-7? Pretty like much, what? yeah. Um, well, because the Jessica's Tree, when I was directing it, have you guys both seen it? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the story of Jess is very parallel to mine. And so there was a lot of stuff behind the scenes that the viewers didn't see of me having to go through all of her diaries and go through all of her files. And my files and diaries were identical to hers. And so it's kind of the story of I'm our stories are so parallel, but I'm still here and she's not. Um, wow. And me having to kind of constantly confront that and having to deal with the guilt of not being able to save her and learning that I couldn't have saved her um, was a process that I went on for two years. So they pretty much followed all of that alongside all of the advocacy and then suddenly all these people contacting me, they got it all. You like see me sitting in my room and I'm like on the phone to the police and the crisis team then the police and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and so, yeah, that that film, it's called The Girl on the Bridge, um, will be out in cinemas around the world uh, next year. Is it going to premiere in New Zealand or London? or? Um, it is going to premiere in America, actually. Is it? Uh, well, premiere will be in the States, yeah. So Sundance um, is where it will be. And then it will go from there and do all the world stuff. So uh, New Zealand will get it, but it won't be first, unfortunately, which is weird. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, got it for New Zealand. Right? <laughs> I know, right? right? So, yeah. <laughs> it's typical New Zealand. Everything turns up like two weeks later. I know. And because it's a New Zealand story as well, I'm yeah. like, oh. But it's, it's cool. They, they do get the book first, which is great. I signed a book deal with Penguin um, yeah. at the same time. And so, because um, why the heck not do a series of film and a book at the same yeah. time? I really threw myself into it. <laughs> um, they'll, they'll get that first. Yeah. So you're running that yourself as well while you're Yeah, just the finished. And, oh, have you finished um, it? 85,000 words in four weeks. Oh, sorry, four months, not four weeks. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that good, you know, no, yeah. four months. Um, yeah, so that, that'll be out with Penguin uh, in February as well. Um, so I did that 
whilst I've been traveling um, and kind of doing everything else. It was very stressful, but it was good. That's my full story. So a lot of it covering, so covering your full story across Jessica's tree in the whole, that whole process. Yeah. It's the, the book is more, it's called stop surviving, start fighting. I don't actually know if I'm allowed to say that, but I will. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, penguin. Um, But it's, (laughs) it's a, it's a practical guide on how to fight through interweaved with my story. So yeah, it's a lot more, it's a lot more detail on my life than the film is because mm. the film was very much the last two years of my life. But yeah, the book so, is. So you delve deep into everything that's happened deep. to you and, yeah. and and what you went through. And yeah, the never before told story. Yeah. Your message across a lot of it is the stop surviving and, and start fighting. Do you yes. just want to quickly touch on? Touch yeah, on of that? course. Yeah. Um, so that, that entire concept actually came from the conversation that I had in the psych ward. Um, and it was after my final ever suicide attempt with a woman called Esther. Um, a phenomenal woman. She had known me for quite a few years. And basically I was bawling my eyes out and she would looked at me and she was like, Jazz, why are you crying? And I turned to her and I was like, oh, I'm just so tired of fighting. And she looked at me and goes, Jazz, what do you think the definition of fighting is? Because I, I don't think you've been fighting. I think you've only been surviving. And it's only when you learn how to fight that the change that you're longing to see is going to happen. And I remember sitting in that ward and being like, hang on a second. If I've actually been surviving for the last nine years and, and fighting is going to change something, I have to learn how to do that. And so um, I looked up the, the definitions and the definition of surviving is to continue to live or exist in hardship, manage to keep going in difficult circumstances. And I was like, shoot, okay, that may have been me because when I looked at the definition of fighting, it was to engage in a battle or war, fight to overcome and destroy an adversary. So for when it comes to a lot of stuff with mental health, everyone's like, I'm fighting so hard, I'm fighting so hard. And I'm like, are you actually, do you know what the definition of fighting is? And so this conversation for me, I began to do a whole bunch of practical things to fight back. And from that conversation um, is what I wrote that Dear Suicidal Me letter. I did all these other lists of things. I started engaging back in therapy. And after that conversation, I never again tried to take my life. So it was 14 suicide attempts, um, like 2000 pages of psych ward files, a lot of pages of child protection files, like all of that. But that the concept of learning how to go from surviving to fighting saved my life. And is why I'm here today. So that's my message that I kind of carry with me everywhere. Just keep fighting. Yeah, learn how to fight. When you say learn how to fight, what do you mean by that? Well, the so with the definition, the the word engage is key. So we're like, oh my gosh, I'm fighting so hard, but are we doing anything different to what we did a year ago? Are we, you know, when it comes to, um, when I was in therapy, I would go in with the mindset that my illness was my identity, therefore it will never change. So I didn't engage in it. I was just like, yeah, whatever, da, 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 da. But when I went in with the mindset, okay, maybe, just maybe, this is only something that I'm dealing with and it's not who I am, then, and maybe, this person has gone to university for six years and they know their stuff (laughs) if I listen to them and I actually put into practice what they're saying then maybe things will start to change and it's like the actively engaging the decisions of I I was very impulsive and wanting to you know something would happen and I would be on the edge of a cliff real quick Um, and it was learning how to in that moment go okay nope this is my decision I'm going to fight back I'm going to call this person instead of running away Um, all those little decisions that was fighting whereas previously I hadn't done that before I was just like, cool, Cliff, run, go. And that's how I ended up in a psych ward so many times. Yeah. 
That's amazing. <laughs> like, yeah, like I said, I could Sorry. Just, yeah. No, that's awesome. Yeah, Can I, I just ask you about the psych ward? Like, is yeah. it is it like what you'd see on like TV? You know, like the Joker yeah. kind of thing? Like, or um, Sorry, I don't know if that's right. No, no, of course. Just, I've like, actually never been asked that before. That's a good question. Oh, um, cool. It's Yeah, I don't know why I've yes. never been asked it. Because everyone wants to know, right? Everyone wants yeah, to yeah, know yeah, what yeah. it's yeah. like in a psych ward. I think ward. everyone thinks the, like, padded, the padded walls and everything. You know, it's like, not. It's not padded walls. It depends on like the area that you're in. The first time I got admitted, I was in ICU which is similar to what you see on movies. You go in, my hoodie strings got taken from me, my shoelaces got taken from me, uh, all of that stuff. You kind of just strip down of all of your belongings. It gets put in a bag and I went down this corridor that was like concrete concrete walls, concrete floor um, into a room that was your full kind of white, only had a bed in it, one single sheet on it. Um, there was like a glass like window in the door because they would have to be checking on you, massive wooden doors. Um, and then if you act up, you get put in seclusion, which which is like pretty much a padded room. Not straight jackets, but padded room. Um, so that's kind of the intensive care unit side and it's absolutely terrifying because you're in there with guys who are like screaming and they're in kind of psychosis because that's, you know, the mixture of people that are in there. Yeah. But the open ward's not bad. The open ward is um, where you get moved after ICU and that's like um, occupational therapy and there's like a gym and there's an art room and there's like all of these things. It's not fancy, but yeah. um, it's not, it's nowhere near white padded as ICU, but yeah, it's, you kind of just get drugged up all the time. Like they're just constantly giving you medication to calm you down. And, um, it's not a nice place to be, but it is, it can help mainly the open what I think can help. Yeah. Yeah. And so right now, like going through everything like that, like, are you like sweet or like, yeah. sorry, I don't know. If no, of like, course. Yeah, I, I am. No, um, no. I, I haven't struggled with mental health in, in quite a few years now. Um, so after I learned how to fight back, um, I got completely discharged from all services um, and haven't had to use them since. But it was like restructuring all of my core beliefs and doing all of that kind of hard yards um, that ensured that now. Like I still get stressed yeah. and all of that kind of thing. And, you know, especially with the thousands of people contacting you, I was like, yeah. oh, but um, – never suicidal thoughts or anything like that. And kind of what is your process to kind of keep up your mental? Do you have your own little yeah. things um, you do? I, I should have a lot more than I do, especially <laughs> as a mental health advocate. Yeah. Um, but to be honest, I'm just really cautious of um, keeping like the, the people close to me close. Um, there, are, there are people who, if they see me getting stressed or overworking, they'll pull me down immediately and be like, jazz, nah, go away for a weekend, um, which is great. I'm actually doing, I'm going to Paris this weekend um, because we've been, crazy working with the UN and this in this museum um, but it's very much just making sure that I just keep talking to people so that I don't wait until everything's too much before I say anything which we're all really bad at doing because we don't think it's bad enough to say anything when you know stuff first starts happening so I've learned now I'll keep in constant communication with people and got group chats with friends just you know um, but yeah that and exercise and um, all of those kind of things that just keep you going. I'm an introvert as well, so I just like lock myself in my way, like, in my room, way in my room and just binge watch Netflix. <laughs> Are you binge watching anything at the moment? Um, it's probably not like the best thing to binge watch, but it's amazing. Um, is unbelievable. Oh, I just finished it. You just weekend. finished it. How good is How it? Good. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I just finished binge watching that as well. Oh, um, but yeah. then also I do your classic like Gossip Girl and Gilmore Girl, yeah. you know, like those girly shows. But Unbelievable was incredible if you haven't. Have you seen it? No. no I, Saturday, too- so I just smashed it out. Oh. Saturday, Sunday. You yeah. just can't stop. Yeah. Like you, it's, 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 
Yeah. It's about sexual assault, but it's like the storyline is just incredible. Yeah, it's, but the way it's delivered is, yeah. is amazing. Yeah. 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 I'm that too busy cool. watching Top Boy. <laughs> <laughs> Relevant. Suits. Yeah. I, I binge watch Suits. And then I met the guy who, who's the main character, um, Patrick Adams, because I know his wife really well. Um, who's on Pretty Little Liars when I was over in LA and I was like called him I called him Mike a couple of <laughs> oh, times. Oh you met Mike Ross. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The Mike Ross. The Mike Ross, yeah. Um I was staying with him and his wife in LA for oh, a wow. bit and I was like, My ooh, Patrick, Patrick. <laughs> but I tried to play it real cool, like they didn't know that I you know, I was like, I don't I've never watched suits. I don't know who you are. Yeah. But my cover got blown as soon as I called him Mike. <laughs> that must be strange, right? You'd, uh, I but, don't know I don't know anyone that famous, but yeah, no, nah, neither, <laughs> neither do I. I was just like thinking, fuck, man, I've binge watched that. Like, yeah, I'd lose it. I'd lose it. Probably. Well, that's what it was interesting having. I had coffee with Prince Harry and Meghan Markle back home, saying. and you know, seeing Meghan, yeah. I was like, this is weird. This is really suit. weird. It's Rachel. It's yeah, Rachel, Rachel from Suits. Yeah. Could, you talk, could you talk to her about that or no? I didn't. Okay. And that coffee, I didn't. We, we've worked with them since oh, over okay. here, um, but I still haven't brought it up. I don't think you can. Although back home, one of the radio stations um, sung the seat the Suits theme song mm-hmm. when they were walking down like the viaduct area. Yeah. It was very funny and terrible. They just she just ignored them. Because oh, <laughs> uh, they're, they're big advocates of it, and that that's kind yeah. of your meeting with them in, in New Zealand, wasn't it? So yeah, yeah, and over here in the UK, mm-hmm. um, both both. So was William as well. William's mm-hmm. a huge advocate, so we've been able to work alongside them both, yeah. um, and and helping them kind of structure their campaigning and what they do and how to use their voice to benefit change. Yeah, yeah I think that's the seeing more of these bigger faces talking about it mm. makes it seem a bit more. Yeah, as you said, when you were going through your struggles, yeah. when no one's speaking about it, how difficult that must be, and I, I can't understand, you know, I can't empathise. Mm. That you know, I would hate. It's good now we're seeing that that progress. Yeah, seeing these documentaries, seeing your movie, your process. Yeah, it's still it still baffles me now. You know, even you just talking about it, I'm thinking, jeez, man, what are we? What am I doing? You know, what, <laughs> yeah. I think that's the, the the cool part of the Jessica's tree, is you see a lot of these they stop that last part where you say yeah. well, what what do you and how do we mm. you know what are we not doing now do you think as a society or, or just as friends and family that that we're not doing or what should we what should we be start doing i think that a lot of the stuff that we're, we're not doing is kind of what i was talking about before with the kind of initial conversations and mm. you know do your why is it and I, this is what i say at the beginning of the film actually why is it that your friends are reaching out to me why is it that they don't feel okay to talk to you um, and, and usually it's because we've never actually opened up that conversation before or everything is kind of based around, oh, like sporting, da, 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 which is great. Um, but in your conversations, are you like, do they feel, do your friends feel okay talking to you before it gets to crisis point, which guys are real bad at doing. Guys are really bad at talking. Um, but I think those are the questions that, that you ask yourself is when is the last time that you just picked up a phone and just asked someone how they were? without any like anything behind it, without trying to organise anything or anything like that. Just just want to see how you are. When's the last time you did that kind of thing? Um, and I, that's why I see, you know, with World Mental Health Day that just happened and when when uh, well-known people take their life, everyone posts on social media like, oh my gosh, like this is so sad, statistics need to change. And then I see that and I'm like, did you just post that or have you picked up the phone and actually called a friend? Have you gone over? Have you hung out with someone? Have you asked someone how they're doing? Like what are you actually actively doing um, to be a part of that? But I think that society is changing and we are being becoming more and more willing to talk about it, which is fantastic and we just need to keep going. Obviously talking about it is one thing, but 
I guess you've got to back it up with a bit of action. And what yeah. what does that look like for sort of our listeners out there who may be going through something like that? And what does the action look like for them or for people who are trying to help their friends who are going through, you know, a story like yourself? Like, well, what does that look like? Or, you know, how, how, how do we help someone who comes to us? You know, sometimes I think, you know, someone will be like, oh, I'm struggling. And then you're like, uh. I don't know what to do. Yeah, I think that the biggest thing is to, and I say it at the end of Jessica's Tree, to first of all remember that it's not your job to save them, uh, but what it is your job to do is that you can literally just be like, have you been to your GP yet? Can I come with you? Can I help you make an appointment? Because when it comes to things like even just depression and anxiety, being able to get a medical professional um, who can, you know, offer help or can show you where to go is so important. It doesn't have to be this big thing like we're going to get you admitted into a psych ward kind of thing, but just maybe they need medication for a couple of months to get through maybe it's just being able to get into therapy and it's kind of you know being able to do those kind of practical things of okay well let, let me help you make an appointment or what what do you need do you just want to go out watch a movie do you want to go play a game of rugby like what do you want to do um and just actively being there but also knowing you don't have to carry the weight of of their mental health issues that there's an entire team of people that can come around them but your job is to help connect them over which is literally make appointments give them a call Hang out with them, be friends. I love that. <laughs> Simple, practical. Yeah. <laughs> I better start coming around you and taking you out for a movie, bro. <laughs> <laughs> if you're paying, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Again, really appreciate you coming along today, sharing your story, uh, but also just the efforts you're making mental health globally. Uh, I think bringing that conversation to the forefront, having us discuss it, you know, we, we were so nervous talking bringing you on today, you know, making sure we, that we could, but at the same time, making sure we can deliver a message that hopefully if it reaches out to one person, then I think that, you know, we're bringing that number, yeah. you know, down to zero is obviously our goal. Yep. That's the only goal we should yep. really have. So, yep. um, so again, thank you. Thank you for everyone listening. Is there anything yeah. uh, you want to say to anyone out there kind of going through? Anyone out there? Yeah. yeah. Sort of <laughs> anyone, if there is anyone listening to this podcast, if there's anyone listening. Of course. Um, um I think if you know if you're if you're struggling, know that um, that you're what you're battling is not your identity. Um, this is not who you are, and it's something that you can work through. And I am sitting here as proof that no matter what you're up against, it's possible to get through. Hope is so real, and change is possible. Um, you know, it's not about battling your past, but fighting for your future, and it's a future worth fighting for. Yeah, and oh. anyone out there listening, reach out to a friend. That's probably a good lesson. Take them to a movie. Take someone out. Give them a call. Yeah. Just genuinely ask, how are you? Good. Yeah. Appreciate your time, Jess. Awesome to have a Kiwi here on the other side of the world. Don't get many on the side. (laughs) (laughs) We can chop it up. Stay strong. Uh, But at least we know, um, at least you know you've got a few Kiwi boys um, on this side if you ever need us. But once again, thank you and all the best for whatever's coming up and your feature film. Thank you. Can't wait to watch it. Um, obviously it's coming out in the USA first but when it, get, when it hits London <laughs> yes. it'll be all over it yeah, they'll be <laughs> the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take it to that movie so uh, yeah just want to say thank you and all the best and have fun in London and thank you. in Paris yes beautiful city oh, great place yeah. never great. been I'm excited oh, you should be you should be it's great plenty to do there um, thank you but yeah thank you for having us thanks for having me Hey guys, thanks again for tuning into this episode. We had so much fun sitting down with Jazz, who's a great advocate for mental health. So please check out all the work she's doing at voicesofhope.org. Watch the Jessica's Tree series, which is available for you on YouTube. 
and find her on Instagram for everything else at Jazz Thornton. Until next time, peace. <laughs>